with me to the gospel, or I could say the gospel of Genesis, but the book of Genesis. And you can keep your you a place marker, and John will be turning there, Lord willing, at some point, uh, looking at the gospel of John. So Genesis chapter number one, just open your Bible and get past the table of contents and you should be okay. I do want to mention on Wednesday nights we have been going through a study in the book of Daniel and um, so we just finished chapter 6, went into chapter 7 this coming Wednesday. And so if you haven't made it a habit to come out on Wednesday nights, uh, do come out and uh, as we grow together, sharpen uh, or look at God's word together, study it and then uh, pray. And so I want to encourage you to make that part of your habit uh, to come. Also, Nancy Lee will be speaking at the Lady Soup Salad and a story in, uh, later on that's been mentioned. Uh, what date again? 18th. Okay, I was going to say 15th, but 18th. You can come on the 15th if you want. just won't be here. You can wait. Um, but Nancy Lee will be sharing, and it's great to have her with us this summer. She's, uh, she's in transition uh, and retiring and so we praise the Lord for her faithful many years of service. How many years have you served missionary? Is it 46? 42? 42 years faithfully serving on the mission field. And so we're, we're thankful for what God has done uh, through her and will continue to do because she's not stopping. She's going back and doing the same thing. Just you don't have to do the paperwork. And uh, so uh, do pray for her, uh, if you will. Well, you have your Bibles open to the book of Genesis. I want to begin reading. uh, Just read the first few verses here, and then we'll go to the Lord in prayer uh, together. Genesis 1.1, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was. Father, we come to you this morning, my heart's full with singing, who is like you, who would do what you have done. And we know, Lord, in the world there are many counterfeits who are offering us someone, some figure, some place, some thing to be Father or God or Savior or Deliverer. And yet you have warned us and told us over and over that those things are futile. We've experienced it in our own lives. Many testimonies here could testify to that this morning. And you point us to yourself, the only true and living God in your son, Jesus Christ. And so we just thank you for that. Pray that you would speak to us through your word this morning. Help me, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I have several uh, probably five messages in one uh, all coming together in my mind so this might be interesting for you and challenging for me uh, I normally don't tell you to open up to two places but we'll <clears throat> want to look at this together and uh, part of this has several different reasons we've come to this passage and part of it is uh, something that's been stirring in my heart and desire uh, to remind our children our young people um, And not just our young people, I think you and I need the reminder, too, of the reality of God uh, in our lives and in the world. And so we have no better place to start than Genesis. There's other reasons, but that is uh, probably suffice for you uh, this morning. The beginning, Genesis 1-1, the Bible opens up for us. Uh, He speaks about here, Moses writing about the existence of all things, the cosmos and stars and constellations and gases and molecules and atoms all things that are the rocks and water and birds and trees as he goes through this and you and I all are described here in the beginning it all gives us the the foundation of how we orient ourselves with the world around us how we are to perceive life and think about not only creation but ourselves is also here in verse number one of Genesis that we are confronted with the idea, the truth of permanence. 
And we don't normally think of that when we think about the beginning of something. And as what we know is the story of the Bible unfolds, the end of something. Heaven and earth will pass away. Um, but in that process of starting, in the process of creation, you and I are confronted with the, the theme, or it might be better to state it, the reality of eternity. But not in the blackness of the uh, atmosphere or universe or the, the skies in which and, and the cosmos in which God will paint creation and, uh, and use it as the backdrop to bring all things into being and set them as they are. So it's not in the creation order that he points us to permanence. It's in God himself. It's in a person. Not a thing, not something abstract without feelings or thoughts or a mind, but rather in God. It is remarkable that this one little verse in Genesis 1 has uh, such a profound and contentious um, place in our existence and society. It is debated. It leaves us with those sometimes unanswerable or unasked questions that really guide and shape your life and my life, the lives of our children. Who is God and where did we come from and those things like that. Well, in this description, we are brought to the reality of God. No explanation of who he is. No story for us in Genesis 1 of what he was doing before he created all things. No, no parable or mystery as to where he came from the child's question where did God come from has anyone ever asked that thought that well the answer here is simply asserted for us he has always been here he he just confronts us with this thing which I think at least in my own finite mind uh, just really sets me back and makes me just kind of contemplate uh, the magnitude, the awesomeness of God. We don't know what it's like to be without stuff. Now, I don't mean the stuff that you put in storage sheds and all those things like that. You get that. You've got enough of that, I'm sure. We don't know what it's like to be in a, in a place of non-existence about things and dirt and all the, the stuff that make up the world and the, uh, and the galaxy that we live in. And yet here, before it all, at the very beginning, on the outset of it, we are told here is one person, one being who is existing. We're pointed to God. Not an argument, not a defense, just a straightforward explanation or straightforward assertion, declaration that in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now, as we said, the implications of this has many ramifications in our world, and it is one of those things that often is not addressed. And I won't go into detail with that. Just because we're familiar with these things, it is, it is no wonder that when we get to Proverbs uh, the answer to this or this statement is seen in the affirmative in the mind, at least when it comes to the idea of wisdom. Because we are told that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Is that understanding of God and who he is and his existence. And yet we have a world geared around intellect and academia and pursuit of knowledge and meaning in life. All of it around uh, devoid of this reality of God. From children's coloring books to Ph.D. studies in, in our colleges, science and all the other arts and, and disciplines are seeking to answer life's toughest questions, biggest questions, most transformative questions without this, without this underlying principle that there is a God. Well, they may seek to wonder what the meaning of life is or who am I or what is my purpose. But they do so by distancing themselves from any religious affiliation, any religious notion to where they may be at any point morally obligated. 
In fact, you can find all of this by looking within yourself and just trying to muster up the answer. And you can virtually, in the society in which we live, come up with the most off-the-wall response to any number of questions that we're seeking for as people, as God's creation, as long as you don't come up with the answer that in the beginning God created all of this. Anything is on the table and everything is viable as long as you don't come to this fundamental reality of God. I read in Richard Simmons in a book on the existence of God made a statement concerning the history of scientific um, revolutions. He said this, at a given time, any scientific community will always have in its structure the element that is more will than intellect, a product of personal history. It isn't the matter of following evidence. It is the matter of following one's one's answer to the question of where did all of this come from? Who was before all of this was? Well, the Bible unapologetically, boldly, and and straightforwardly, and I love it the way uh, the Word of God does this, some of the most profound things in the Word of God is some of the most simplest. I know there's things in the Bible which you and I may choke at and, and drown in once we try to work out who the Nephilim are or, or many other mysteries in the Word of God, but, but many of the most, all of the most important doctrines that the Bible gives us, all of the most important things that we are to understand about life and how to live is simple and plain and given for us, and that is here. There is a God. I might add to that, and you're not it. And I'll mention that later. There is a God. That's what we see in Genesis 1. He is eternal in his existence. I want you to turn with me uh, to the book of Exodus. We'll look at it in just a moment. Exodus chapter number 3. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth implies... For us that God perfectly existed before heaven and earth and all things that are created were created. Does that make sense? That he was in no ways becoming God. Growing in wisdom and favor or growing in wisdom or growing in his ability or his power, his influence. In fact, as you see the mystery of creation itself and and the beauty and the wonder of all the things that are around us including ourselves you may not think of yourselves that way the psalmist did but you may not that's up to you but but as we look at all of these things we see the wisdom and majesty creativity and the beauty of the mind of god and why it's important to note that is when we speak of God, we're not speaking about a force or an impulse or something without, without a personhood or without all the distinctive qualities of person. God is and has always existed by necessity as he is. That's hard for us to understand, isn't it? But that is exactly the thing that creation tells us as he declares the wonder and glory of God. You know the few psalms, I'll read these for you, a few verses testifying to that. As he tells us creation, the megaphone of that brilliance of God. Psalms 19, 1 through 4 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice, speaking about creation, their voice goes out throughout all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Of course, we know Psalms 19 is a, is a beautiful song about the revelation of God, his, special, his general revelation in creation, his special revelation in his word. Romans 1, 19 and 20. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. So what is Paul saying in Romans? 
The same thing he said in Psalms. Heaven itself, creation itself, all the things that are around us that we see are testifying to the invisible reality and attributes of God. Of the Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and in such a way that his fingerprints are all over it, testifying to who he is. Revelation 4-11 further adds to that. Worthy are you, our Lord God, to receive glory and honor and power. And why is he worthy to receive glory and honor and power? Well, there's many reasons we could say in the Bible as you read from Genesis to Revelation. But he says here, For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And the first two verses of this confirms the testimony and nature and creation. Verse Revelation uh, speaks more to us, saying that not only is God creator, but he is worthy of honor and glory and praise and power And it shows to us that God's creation was a product. Heaven and earth, you and I and all that's in it are a product of the will, the active will of God. And so you send your kids off to school to be reminded that all of this was by chance. We live in a world of cosmic accidents. We... Read and is taken as law, scientific law, as we, as we find ourselves in circles of education, that, that you're just here by accident. Meaning, morality, and all of those things, constructs of human nature, the, the, the evolution to survive. And what the Bible is saying that far from that, Uh, correcting that and and abolishing that notion that you and I are here by a direct act of the will of God. And not just testifying that that his creative act in Genesis 1-1 is is not forced upon God, but uh, but God's willing act, his desire, his intention to act. But, But it reminds us that of the independence of God. He works and acts. He is the only totally, truly independent being in all of existence. And I know we in America, we boast of independence, don't we? Got a whole day celebrating it, shoot off fireworks and, and all the other stuff that we do and cook hamburgers. We want to be independent. We try to continue to live on that theory and, and that idea, that notion But ultimate, true independence, true autonomy, true sovereignty in that way is only found in God himself. The challenge of humanity is we have tried to distance ourselves, severance ourselves from God to claim for ourselves this kind of independence. But it's it's all a show, it's all a facade, it's smoke and mirrors, isn't it? Because we are reminded in the Bible that once... Is appointed for all men to die, and after this, the judgment. All, all false views and, and high hopes of ultimate independence to do whatever you want to do without any repercussions or any regards will be squashed one day when we all stand before Him who created us. But the beauty bringing us back to this is that here, here we're brought to see this. Glorious, truly independent being who created all things according to his own will. You have your Bibles open to Exodus and he gives us an image of this as this encounter with Moses. Exodus 3, if you're there, look at it with me. And Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, or the father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire, and out of the midst of the bush he looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here I am. And then he said, Do not come near, take your sandals off your feet, for the place in which you're standing is holy ground. 
And he said, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. That's appropriate response to hearing God speak out of the bush. Wouldn't you agree? Uh, That is, if you didn't need an EMS team there for us (laughs) to kind of bring us back. And I guess God made provision for that. What I want you to notice here is that Moses, there's many things Moses understands about God in this encounter. One is this, uh, this reality that Moses understands that God is separate from his creation, at least in the sense of, of he is holy. And so Moses is to take his feet or shoes off his feet because the ground in which he is standing is holy and it is holy because it is set apart by God's presence. And that's fascinating and enough, but the very thing that caught Moses' attention was this, this sign or this scene of this bush that was burning and yet was not consumed. Now, I had to look it up because I had it wrong. Um, and some of you Boy Scouts and, and probably a lot of you women who've lived up here for a long time know what elements you need to build a fire or maintain a fire. Uh, Google helps if you're um, like me, but anyway, you need fuel. Oxygen. What's the third one? I kept saying ignition, but it's not ignition. It's heat, right? And yet what you see here in this visual, this this image in front of Moses is a fire that is in the bush that was burning, yet the bush itself was not fueling the fire. It was self-existing. It was burning without the need or without uh, without the accompaniment of fuel. The power of the fire rested within itself. Well, it rested within God, but within itself and nothing external, nothing outside of itself. And that's a very important image for us to keep in mind as you see him later on as he speaks to himself. And God's wanting to know, what in the world do you want me to do? God tells him, he says, I'm not going to do it. And by the way, who are you? Now, God, as you keep reading on, answers that question for us, doesn't he? As he says, uh, verse number six, he had already said, I'm the God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and the God of Jacob. But he goes further, doesn't he? And he says that I am, verse number 14, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Now, I know I'm... There's a lot of theological significance to this. But if you just think about this in a normal sense, in some ways we might at first glance think this is not very helpful. When we ask who someone is, we kind of want, who are you? Where are you from? What's, what's your name? What do I call you? Those things like that. And yet here God is, is answering the question, who are you? Who will I say that, that sent me to you or to the children of Israel? And he says, this is what you'll say to them. I am that I am. I am the one who exists, or I am who I am. That's what you to tell the children of Israel. In in essence, going back to this kind of view of the fire in the bush, he's saying, I am who I am. I am the one who exists. The one who has always existed. In himself, in, in God himself, he is... He is all-sufficient, not just independent in creation and exercising of his free will, but he is, he is self-sufficient. In other words, he does not need anything around him or, or anyone to sustain him, which was a remarkable thing back in the Bible days, especially back in Moses' day, because it was thought that the deity needed its, its worshipers to kind of keep them healthy. You keep bringing the cows, and I'll keep being God, right? That's kind of the theology behind it, because God was a part. Their deities was a part of creation, not distinct from it. But that's not what we see in Genesis 1, is it? Because you see God existing in eternity past, before everything was, existing perfectly fine as he was. And here, with all of creation going on, it does not deplete him It does not take away from him. He is not dependent upon creation to exist. 
And theologians speak of the aseity of God, which simply means God is not dependent on anything outside of himself to be who he is or to exist. Psalms 50 reiterates that for us, verse 11 through 13. For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills. That's impressive enough, isn't it? And all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, now God is speaking in terms that you and I can understand. Not that God ever gets hungry, right? But if I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls and drink the blood of goats? Again, battling that pagan concept that had overtaken Israel time and time again. God is not dependent on the nation of Israel to survive. Is not dependent upon creation and its success to continue on being. God has always been. He is and he will always be. That's what he's saying there in Exodus chapter 3. I am the existing one. I am the one who is. And let me just ask you this, just by way of maybe a little meddling. Don't you think we have an overinflated view of ourselves sometimes? That really all of this is dependent upon me or you? And sometimes we work frantically in stress and we build that anxiety that God somehow and somewhere in his program for some reason needs us or it's all going to what? Fall apart. doesn't change God in fact I was thinking as I was going over this Jesus's words to uh, to the Pharisees if they would quit praising me the rocks would cry out and praise me and what happens when we get like that is you and I miss the joy of service in the Christian life we miss the peace in the middle of the moments when things are tough and we can't handle them and we have to trust God we miss the, the, the fellowship and really the, we, we hinder the relationships we have one another because when you have to be God, you're a very miserable God and everyone around you is miserable. Would you agree with that? I mean, that just may be my observation. Self-reflection. And nevertheless, when we come to this realization that God is uh, and he does not need us to be who he is. Uh, there is peace and help for us. I want you to also. I want to also note that to say I am who I am is to say He is who He is without distortion. That may not be the proper word or some theological five dollar word, but it does kind of convey in my mind what He means. That God is a person. He is who He is. He does not change. He's unchanging and. And he will always be who he is. And that means that he is not the product of your imagination. He's not subject to uh, your creative abstract art. Where you think that that might look like a giraffe. Or maybe it looks like a a turtle you don't know. but, But to you it feels like this. I think that's the whole thing of abstract art isn't it? It's kind of like playing what do you see in the cloud thing. Has any of you ever done that? You lay down in the field and you're looking up, maybe with someone, your soon-to-be significant other. We didn't do this. Mary and I didn't do this. But maybe you did this. And you're thinking, what do you see up there? And oh, I see an elephant. And I just have no creative abilities in me, so I see mashed potatoes. (laughs) It all looks like mashed potatoes. Not because I love mashed potatoes, just because it looks like the constitution of mashed potatoes. What I'm trying to say is because God is who he is and he is without distortion, he is without change, he is not the product of our mind, he is not the invention of our hands, he is not the the sum total of our imagination and our creativity. He cannot be anything other but who he is. Which is both a confronting thought and a comforting one. It is confronting because we cannot manipulate him to go against his nature, nor can we reinvent him to fit the times, as seems to be the case in many modern Christian circles. 
we don't like God, we just give God a makeover. Kind of like they do on those reality TV shows. They come in, they look like everybody's creating the image of God, you know, and they value and respect, but they need help. They know that. That's why they're on the show, and they get help. We do that with God, don't we? You come to the Bible and you read it and you, you don't like certain parts of it and you're like, I got a good idea. Let's just change that. Let's rearrange it and God can be nicer or be something other than what he is. It's confronting because we're not allowed to do that. We cannot do that and come at the end of the day with an appropriate understanding, a rightful understanding who God is. But secondly, it's comforting because he is not hot and cold like you and I are. You don't know which way the wind's blowing, so you're not sure if you want to talk to him today. Because he's pretty nice yesterday when you talk to him, but today he might be he might be throwing stuff like the Greek gods and might be very, very angry. It's comforting because we've come to know that that in an ever-changing society, in an ever-changing world with, with our life constantly going back and forth with the ebb and flow of things coming and going, that there is a sense of permanence. And we find that permanence in the very beginning in the person and nature of God. If I can say it another way, there is a God. So there is comfort that you and I might have. There is something that we may stand upon. And Numbers tells us this in verse 23, verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said and will he not do it or he has spoken and will he not fill it. James again colorfully paints this for us when he says every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow to change there's no shifting no fudging no diluting no distorting he is who he is both at confrontation and comfort coming to meet us in that great reality I want us to note also not only as he's speaking of God we can turn to John at this point The very reason you can turn to God is because God is a person. He is knowable. And since he cannot be other than himself, uh, since he does not change, he, he is not deluded, he is not distorted, since he is not manipulated or any of those things, since there's a permanence in the nature and character and being of God, then you and I can have confidence that he is knowable, that we can know God, right? And we know him through the means he has given to us. We already mentioned the fact that he has revealed himself through creation. But the most succinct, the clearest, and the... The clearest revelation, let's just stop with that, clearest revelation of God is found in his word. It is here that our misconceptions about God are corrected. And I want to say this lovingly and understanding that God works through seasons and experiences in our life. Praise God for that. I think sometimes we can be so much on the other side that we we leave little room for that. He does do that. But, But as that being the case, as that being true, that all of those experiences, all of those those kind of concepts and theories and things that we have when it comes to who God is, is subject to God's own revelation. So chief in our life, chief in understanding, is not necessarily our experience, but the word of God. It is the very thing that corrects us. It's the thing that guides us and and helps us and keeps us from saying things like, well, I think God's kind of like, and then by the time they get done explaining what they think God is kind of like, you kind of want to go out and buy them a Bible. 
And I don't mean that crossly or, or rudely because it comes to this place, to this reality that you and I have a basic problem when it comes to the nature of God. Either on one hand we, we, we completely reject him, ignore him, and erase him from our society and from our mind as, as the case is in many circles. Or on the other hand, we want to distort him and make him something other than he is because, because the reality of God is, again, confronting, exposing to us. And so if you and I are to know God, if we're to know him rightly and correctly, then we must come to the, the chief means, the primary and infallible source to knowing God, and that is through his word, or through the Bible. God has said, God speaks, God has given us a word so that you and I may not walk around with our eyes closed, bumping into things, trying to wonder what life is like. And in fact, all of the pursuits in life, all of our searches of meaning and purpose and, and, and reality and relationship, all of those things are found here, answered for us in this book, the Bible. God not only exposes himself to us, but shows us his purpose and meaning for his created order and corrects our distorted pursuit of those things. Having said that, we see the most clearest revelation of this, fundamental in John's gospel, John chapter number 1. As we come to know God, before the stories were and, and the multitude of events in the Bible were, were confronted with this reality of God and all the stories and and events in the Bible are unfolding God for us. And then it's almost as if you come to John 1 and he, he ties your hand back to Genesis and he says, here's the climax. Here's the climax. In the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God and all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. I'm not going to go through all of these verses. I do want to look at the first two just briefly as we come to understand this reality of God and even the fundamental doctrine of the Christian faith. Again, he's bringing us back to the beginning before all of this was in our mind, bringing with us this theology, this reality of the existence of God, his creator, his aseity, his independence, his, his goodness, his wisdom, all of those things that we've come to understand God by. But interestingly enough, interestingly enough because he was Jewish and interesting enough because it is veiled for us in the Old Testament. He says, in the beginning, not God created. He's not saying God didn't create because he evidently says God created here. But he says, in the beginning was the word. This divine word, this divine power of God, and associating our minds back with God's created order, God said, and let there be light, and there was light, and that power in that creative act is, is seen here personified or, or a person himself. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God. And the word was God. Before the world existed, before dirt and water and turtles and clouds, stars and angels, was the Word with God. Now he's making a distinction that there's two distinct persons here. With is the idea of face-to-face -face with looking at one's face, beholding one. This word that was with God was God. Now, I know some branches of Jehovah's Witness have come to us and tell us, well, there's supposed to be an A here. Uh, well, they it's not. <laughs> it's not an original language. Let me just tell you, if one branch of 
one branch who calls himself Christian and says they like Christ too, Jesus too, comes up and tells you that we've corrected histories of church um, church understanding of this one passage, then I would reject that wholeheartedly on the outset. But secondly, the, the understanding of what they come to view Christ as, as a lesser being uh, that as well ought to be rejected. They're wrong. And it goes to show you, let me just say this lovingly, it goes to show you that if we're not willing to submit to what the Word says, we are fine with changing it to fit what we do want to believe. So in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This divine Word, face to face with God in the beginning, of course you know this is the Gospel according to John, this Gospel message is the revelation of of Jesus Christ, his works and his deeds, but it brings us back to this reality more than just the revelation of a prophet and a good man and someone else. This is the testimony of God himself. Uh, We preach and we hold and we teach and we invite people not to just theories and ideas, but back to fellowship and relationship with this God who created all things. That's what John over and over defends, that here this one God and uh, this word, Jesus, whose preexistent state is himself God, who is, in fact, creator of all things. Verse number three. Doesn't Paul say the same thing? All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He goes on to say, in fact, Jesus Christ, this man who lived 2,000 years ago, miraculous conception we read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, Matthew and Luke, he said, he is the reason you and I are not flying off this ball of dirt into the atmosphere. Christ himself, I don't think that's too much to say. Maybe you do, and you're like, well, gravity has a lot to do with that. Who created gravity? How about that? Just kidding. That was wrong. It wasn't wrong. He did create it. It's wrong how I said it, see? Did you know the reason that we're not consumed by the Son but nourished by it is because of Christ, Jesus? The very reason that you can go out and work in your gardens, those of you who have that magical green thumb and bring in the joys of what you planted and share it with others who can't, is because of Christ. The reason you can work at the end of the day and enjoy the satisfaction And the joy, the honor that comes from a hard day's work and that rest that you have is because of Christ. The reason you exist here even this morning is because of Jesus. We might ignore the reality of God. But as you come to the word of God, no part of our life is unaffected by his being by his presence while he himself is self-sufficient and independent we are needy but i want to add to that not just the cycles of the seasons we could go on and on but i want to add to that it is also true that the kingdoms of this world has been unable to snuff out the gospel witness because of jesus do you believe that Isn't that something you kind of need to remind yourself of from time to time? How in the world has Christianity survived? It almost feels like a fragile religion as you look at the persecution, the heavy weight of persecution against the nations of the earth throughout church history. And yet we know the sustaining sustaining work was that of Christ. He is the one who is securing the success of the gospel and its presence in the world. And did you know, do you believe that the age that you live in and it's outworking, your future, my future, and the future of my kids is sustained by Jesus Christ? I, I think that is one of, the, one of the bedrock truths that we need to kind of 
have implanted in our minds in this day. And I know those of you who lived a long time and, and seen a lot better days, and let me just say it that way, and we can argue about what you mean by better days, I get that, but that you've seen much better days. And I've heard the conversations, I've been in the conversation, I've had it myself, I've even said the same words, how you kind of wonder, just kind of in amazement at how bad things are. But can I tell you that this thing will not end until Christ brings it to an end. Because the same one who created all things by the word of his power, sustaining all things, is, a, is the very same God that we await to bring an end to all things. We see the world out of control. Colossians says, well, let me just remind you, Christ is sustaining all things. Our Bibles begin with the reality of God. John likewise takes us to see this through the lens of Jesus. He is that 3D revelation of who God is. You want to know him, read through your Bibles the stories, the accounts, the way he's expressed himself. But can I say you can go through all that and miss who he is if you miss this revelation of Jesus Christ. You will not know the Father except through the Son. I began this as the Bible begins with the reality of God and I was trying to look up that phrase, there's two things I know. There is a God and I'm not him. I think that was Rudy off the movie Rudy. Anyway, he's a motivational speaker. I'll give him the credit. I can't tell you his last name. I can't pronounce it. But anyway, I think both those things are important. And the reason is, is because we need to be reminded not only that there is a God, but God is not us. You and I are not equipped to sustain the universe. Would you agree with that? You can't carry the weight of the world on your shoulders. In fact, you find often in your life, God is so orchestrated through his providence and kindness to teach us and keep us in a place where we need to be that the burdens in your life you can't carry. Would you agree with that? And in all of that pointing and showing our own limitedness so that we might look to someone without limits. Showing and, 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 and bringing us to a place to turn to God for help. Who is never, by the way, diminished by your coming. Never diminished by providing resources or helping you. It's almost like some days you go to God and be like, well, praying this again, Lord. And he's like... I just say, I have a full tank today. I ain't got time to deal with you. And we approach God that way, don't we? But we come to this reality that God is who he is. He's unchanging. He's He's unmoving. He's not dependent upon creation. Therefore, we can go to him in our time of need and find that help that he offers us. I want to close with this. And I know you're thinking at some point you thought I would. Because I, I want our children to know this. I want my, my boys leaving home. They're, they're college age and they're going out. And, and I want my daughter and my son to know the reality that there is a God and, and you're not it. You don't get to make the rules. Someone else does that. But I, I was brought back to that account in Second Kings as the Bible begins that book. or That book is started for us. And it, and it started with a question in verse number 3. The son of Ahab is, is hurt and he's on his bed sick and injured from war. And so he sends his servant, go to Ekron and ask Baal if I'll recover. And so Elijah is called and, and he is told, go to the king and ask him this question. Is it because there is no God in Israel that you're going to inquire of Beelzebub, Lord of the flies, God of Ekron? He said, what does that have to do with what you've already said? Maybe little. But it may be exposing in the fact that oftentimes we face things in this life where we live 
We may not fundamentally believe that God is not real or God doesn't exist, but we handle, we deal, we, we face, we approach things as if God is absent or as if he's not there at all. You can see it in the, the pressure of anxiety, as we have already mentioned. You can see it here in the king's need. He goes and sends for a pagan god, some other god, because there's no god in Israel to come to. How often Israel has demonstrated their willingness to go to the ends of the earth to find help and not come back to that glorious understanding that there is a god. They go to Egypt. They go to Syria. They go to Ekron. They go to wood, stone, all of that, forgetting, outsourcing the reality that there is a God. And I just want to tell you that in our times of need, that has been one of our problems. We outsource. We go to the world to find solutions to those God-sized problems. In some ways, we uh, there's a need at times to go to help and resources that are available, but in other times, and in many cases, we face things in this life head on and we deal them with ourselves, forgetting that glorious truth that above us and beyond us and before us and after us and, and helping us is God. Christ and all that he offers to us in his majesty and his power and his permanence so that you and I might be stable and sure and insane in a world that's gone insane. Not just in our need, we find it in our prosperity in the church of Laodicea in the latter age. And, and God concludes that with Christ standing on the door trying to get into the church because they are, they are full and in need of nothing. We live over and over in our prosperity, in our need, in our impurity or in our sinfulness, forgetting the reality that there is a God. And most importantly, he's not you. And I just want to encourage you this morning as you look at the Gospel of John, even the beginning of our Bible, he brings us back to that glorious truth that in the beginning, in the beginning God and how many times do we need to come back to that truth and the things that we face, that we weigh out fear and circumstances and trial and trouble under the reality that we are not alone. There is a God who never tires, who is never depleted, that we can call on. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this morning that we can gather together. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace to us. Even with what we have said, there's so many things left unsaid. Lord, you'll have to work that out with your spirit in the hearts of your hearers. I pray for each one here this morning. God, the greatest joy and the greatest burden, the greatest privilege and the greatest need is that we might know you. God, I pray for those here who don't, they don't because they don't know the Son that they would even this morning turn from their sinfulness and that they would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray for this day that you would continue to set it aside in our heart as we meditate over your word and give you the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.